Chris Chang and Phillips, and this is Let's Find Out, a podcast about the history of Edmonton, Alberta, or Amiskwichi Wiskaigon, on Treaty 6 territory. We take questions from curious Edmontonians about local history, and we find out the answers together. Let's Find Out is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATB. And this episode is a proper detective story, with a decades-old mystery hidden in plain sight. It'll take us far outside the city, across oceans, but it starts in a strip of trees behind an alley between a regular old residential street on the south side of town and 75th Street, a busy road It's basically a freeway, with a friend of the podcast, Dustin Bajer, sitting in a tree. How's it going? Good. Yeah, I'm good. You know, hanging out in a tree. <laughs> Have you seen Brooklyn yet? My natural habitat. No, um, no, I haven't seen anybody. I only just got here, though. All right. Yeah. I parked on the street. Probably. Smarter and more responsible. <laughs> I was like, how am I going to minimize the neighbors, like, calling the police on me? Right. <laughs> so is that a question you ask yourself frequently? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Dustin agreed to come along to meet our question asker because she had some very important questions about three trees in this alley, known as the Capilano apricots. Hi, I'm Chris. Hi, Chris. Brooklyn. Nice to meet you. Hi. Hi. I'm Dustin. Nice to meet you, Dustin. Hey. Nice to meet you. Hi, my name is Brooklyn Schneider. I live in Holyrood here in Edmonton and had no idea the Capilano apricot trees were two blocks away from my house all along. But when I heard about them maybe two years ago, and it was a Facebook post in a gardening group that Dustin posted, I thought, huh, well, that's cool. I'd like to know more about that. And then promptly forgot about it Hmm. until I went to Let's Find Out, the live taping back in the winter and you said who's got questions and I said hey you know I do remember this question like deep 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 in the back of my mind about something related to apricots and local right local trees and I thought hey people might also want to find out like I do cool um so Holyrood for listeners who don't know this neighborhood it's like kind of close to Bonnie Dune um but you 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 mentioned you come from much farther away than Bonnie Dune originally? Yeah, I'm originally from Kitchener-Waterloo, Ontario girl. You can probably hear it in my Ontario accent, right? <laughs> yeah. Everyone's like, where are you from? And I've been in Edmonton just about five years now. Uh, do you say power or hydro? Hydro. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good Ontario question. Uh, <laughs> That's where we get our power. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. When I, mo- I went to... Uh, Toronto and then Peterborough for university and that really baffled me when I first got there. Well things baffle me here so it's you know fair game right? (laughs) But I I love Alberta and we have an incredible growing season in Edmonton things I didn't know right? And all these sunny days this summer isn't the greatest for that but who knew right? So I got into gardening when I moved out here and it's, it's a trip right? To try to garden and sort of such a northern city that people don't realize we can grow really awesome things and that we have things called Capilano apricots right on our boulevard. Thanks for coming to the show. Appreciate you asking a question. Sure, absolutely. Um, so uh, let's like like chop it down to what, what are you curious about that we can help you answer um, in this episode? I'd like to know the history of these apricot trees. How it is that they ended up on a boulevard right off 75th Street right? Like, people drive by them every day. It's a completely forgettable stretch of street and green space that 
nobody even notices. So how is it that these random trees ended up here? And they're, they're nowhere else in the city, which is also weird. Like we have a really beautiful tree canopy in Edmonton, yet we have just these three apricots. Like there's gotta be a story there, right? I think we have, I mean, when you and I chatted on the phone, you and I were on exactly the same page on who to talk to for this question. And uh, as I was um, walking up to this alley, uh, I found this man in the tree. Um, So would you mind introducing yourself? My name is Dustin Bajer, and I like climbing trees. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So uh, you're going to take us on a tour of the Capilano apricot trees? Uh, Yeah, there's three trees. Uh, They're generally referred to as Capilano 1, 2, and 3, going from south to north. There are... I think I have more questions than answers, and I have a few hunches that I cannot prove. Uh And so I also feel like I'm relying on your investigative skills (laughs) to answer a few of these questions. So, um, yeah, I'll tell you what I know. Let's, uh, let's, Let's see the trees, and then let's talk about your leads, and then hopefully I can put some investigative muscle towards following those leads. Fantastic. Okay. Uh, oh, and I guess we should maybe say who you are for people who don't know what a Dustin Bajer is. A Dustin Bajer is um, someone who's interested in <laughs> quirky local fruit tree varieties. Um, and uh, I presently am working on a project with some funding from the Edmonton Heritage Council to research heritage trees across the city. Um, Step one is maybe defining a little bit as to what that means, um, but for a few different reasons, I think that these Capilano apricots should be included on a list of heritage trees in Edmonton. I'm really excited. I also did not know that we could grow apricots in Edmonton, so I'm so jazzed to see this. Who knew, right? Yeah. Right? People think it just snows here 10 months of the year. We don't grow anything. Turns out, well, let's find out, right? Let's find out. Hold tight. I'll tell you in a minute. But first, a word about Taproot. Okay, so a quick word about Taproot Edmonton. Um, I'm here with Troy, Troy Pavlak. Hi, I'm Troy. You and I both make podcasts supported by a local journalism initiative called Taproot Edmonton. What's your show called? Speaking municipally. Kind of a municipal affairs? Yeah, everything to do with council. Okay, so listeners can support both of these shows and all of Tapper Edmonton's great roundups and stories for just 10 bucks a month. Um, Troy, why should they? You should support Speaking Municipally and Taproot Edmonton because what Taproot produces, like with Speaking Municipally, is journalism that matters in your everyday life. You probably don't know much about your city council because city council is boring. We put in the effort to actually pay attention to those snooze-fest 13 councillors and mayor so that you don't have to, but you can still be an informed citizen. So is that worth $10 a month? I think so. To uh, support Taproot Edmonton, to read all the great stuff, to listen to all the podcasts, go to taprootedmonton.ca. Just do it. So we are walking up an alley. We just walked past some crab apple trees and stuff. And... Uh, yeah, we, we are literally within view of 75th Street. And uh, what, what are we walking up to here, Dustin? Yeah, so on our right, there's actually, there's lots of city planting. So we have some spruce trees, we've got lilacs, we've got some honeysuckle, uh, we have some dwarf carragana, and then we have this little gap and we have this multi-stem apricot tree uh, filling it. And so I think if you're unaware of it, or what it is, you would just assume it's 
part of the planting. Uh, and I think unless you stumbled upon it when it was in full bloom or filled with fruit, you probably wouldn't notice it. Brooklyn, how would you describe this tree? It's got a really cool, gnarly look to it. I, <laughs> on first look, I think it doesn't look like the healthiest tree, but it's got a lot of character. Like I like the sort of architectural interest of like these branches going in all different directions. This is a tree that I would have climbed as a small girl and like would have sat up there and hung out with friends and ate popsicles, not having any clue, right, that that this tree has such a cool history. I don't know, Dustin, is this even a healthy apricot? So this was, until this year, a healthy apricot. It's rough. And uh, so there's a lot of dieback this, this, from this past winter, uh, actually on all three trees. And so it's a little bit of a mystery. The trees are believed to have been here since the 60s. Um, I doubt they've ever had this amount of dieback. It could be something environmental. It could be the fact that we had some really bizarre freeze-thaw cycles mm -hmm. this year and so it was quite warm and then it got very cold uh, and that could have could have caused it. It could be that they're also approaching you know the the end of their lives. It could be that this tree was already on its down. Right. You know this is a turn in the corner. Tree, is what you're saying. Right. Perhaps. And then followed up by a really rough winter. Uh, but we've had worse winters and I mean, I wasn't here every year to check on it for the past 60 <laughs> years, but, uh, you know, this does seem a little bit unusual for something that has been hanging around and, and doing quite well for a while. Um, mind you, I think one of the challenges with climate change is the, the extremes, right? right. So while we've had colder winters, I don't think we often flip-flop maybe as drastically between warm and cold. And it'll be interesting to see how, you know, any, any of the trees that live here do with that over time. So this was Capilano apricot number one, the furthest south one. And uh, what's, what's our rough address here? Like 70, 75th Street and 86th Avenue? 86th Avenue is just down here. And yeah, 75th Street, you can hear, us, hear it beside us. Okay, so let's uh, let's see number two. Okay. I hope two is in better shape. They're all, you know what? As I drove by, two and three looked in better shape than they did in the spring, but I haven't seen it up close yet. I waited until August to do this one because I was really hoping we'd get to taste some, but some apricots, yes. That's that's not going to happen, hey. No, unfortunately. Still something to look forward to, hey? Yeah. One thing to consider is there are some stumps as you move through here, which I believe are additional apricot trees that maybe didn't make it along the way. Huh. And so I think, yeah, I don't know if they're still here, but I, and, and I was talking to somebody who lived in the neighborhood who walked by when I was at the tree once and and uh, they had commented on how the tree was maybe in decline but that there used to be more than three and so it might be that there was you know quite a few more. Here's our Capilano. This is three. 
and Capilano 2 is right beside it. So 3 is in, ha, definitely has some dieback, but is overall in much better shape, I would say. And uh, it's definitely the tallest of the three. So here's, Cap, here's Capilano 2, <laughs> which has kind of always been a scraggly little thing. Um, that being said, I actually really like the fruit from number two. Uh, a lot of people will tell you that number one is by far the best fruit. I disagree. I think two and three are better, but they mature about two weeks later. So I think if you show up to pick apricots and you were, showed up when Capilano one was ready and you picked all three, I think that you would say absolutely the Capilano one is the best and two and three are garbage. But come back two weeks later, I think you'll be pleasantly surprised with the other two trees. Why do they bloom later? Why does the fruit come in later? So I don't know the origin of them, like who planted them, but it is believed that they're seedlings. Seedlings aren't exact clones of their parents. Um, and they're, they're individuals. And so probably a good way to think of them is as siblings. They probably have a, you know, a, a common origin story, but they seem to be three distinct individuals. And so their growth habit is a little bit different, their flowering time is a little bit different, their fruiting time is a little bit different, and the quality and size of their fruit is a little bit different. Um, they are very similar, but each unique. And so a Capilano one, two, and three all have slight variations. So the assumption is that they were probably planted as seedlings. If somebody did the grafting thing from an apricot tree and planted them along here, we should expect them to flower roughly at the same time, fruit roughly at the same time, and have the, uh, a very similar uh, quality to their fruit. The fact that there is variation probably means that they were seedlings. It's not a thing maybe with the different shading or light quality? That also could be, yeah, so environmental conditions as well. Um, and I guess you wouldn't know that unless you, I don't know, brought it to a lab and had somebody take a look at it at the molecular level. But I think the consensus seems to be that it's very likely that they're, th they're three unique seedlings. Yeah. Because they're so close together, it wouldn't be the case necessarily that we'd have drastic environmental changes when, yeah. really, I mean, they're a stone's throw apart. Of course, right, soil right. testing could reveal that there's like key differences. Right. But generally, we yeah, shouldn't, we shouldn't two see that level. three are literally planted, you know, what? Yeah, we can four almost stretch meters. our arms out and touch each one. Certainly the three of us linking hands could touch, you know, go from one tree to another. Why are we doing this theoretically? Stretch your hands out. Let's see. Okay. <laughs> okay. I'm over here. This is two? That is, that is three. Three. Yeah. Okay. Remember from north to south. Stretch farther. See if you can. Oh. Can you can, almost can get there? I can put a foot on one. I can put a foot on one. And you've got a hand. Yeah, so we're two people stretched out touching both trees. Stay there. And one, two, and three <laughs> from from south to north. This tree is like, that's barely further north than number, like three is what, maybe a meter further north than number two? Yeah. Yeah, this is a weird photo. This is super weird, but okay. Yeah. So let's talk theory. What, uh, what are your theories, Dustin? What do we know? What do we know, and what what are your assumptions? So I think we know that the city of Edmonton is not in the habit of planting edible fruit trees on uh, in public spaces because, and I think the reason for that is maintenance, um, perhaps uh, 
like aesthetics if you end up with messy apricot fruit all over the place. Um, like somebody's backyard with like crab apples smeared on sure. the sidewalk. Uh, liability, and so if it's publicly accessible food on, um, you know, somebody gets sick from it, is the city responsible for that? And so it is, I think the belief, the, the it's I think pretty understood that these were likely planted here without permission, without the city knowing them. The second piece of evidence for that is they're not in the city's inventory of trees. And so they, every time they plant a tree, um, that information is put into their inventory. It's available in open on the open data catalog. And while the other trees in this strip are included, the apricot trees are missing. So that says to me that it was not likely planted by the city of Edmonton. So if it wasn't planted by them, who planted them? Do you have a theory? I have a theory. Well, I know from the gardening community, like gardeners love to go rogue. We love to try anything. We're like, oh, look, seeds from my grandmother. They're 20 years old. Let's plant them and find out. Right? Or, oh, my neighbor, right, has some sort of tree growing in their yard. Now there's seedlings coming in my yard. Let's let them grow and find out. Right? There's a lot of patience and time and I'd say wonder I just well, let's watch it grow and see what happens yeah I think it's very likely that somebody living in the neighborhood had a surplus of apricot seedlings or apricot pits and they thought what am I gonna do with these I don't have room in my yard and they went over to this green strip and walked up and down it and planted a bunch and three of them are still alive uh, and, and tracking down that individual may be impossible. <laughs> I have one theory uh, which might be, might have some avenues of investigation. So not far from here uh, lived a gentleman by the name of Robert Summonette. And Robert Summonette was an internationally famous plant breeder. And his claim to fame, and he made a fortune selling double flowering petunias during the Second World War. So, <laughs> that sounds yeah. sexy. That sounds like a sexy petunia from Robert. But, he, but if you go to like CD Sunday, you can find weird little things like summonette corn. So he also played around with vegetables. And so there is a, a corn variety, which he bred here in Edmonton, called summonette corn. Uh, in my backyard, I have a summonette pear tree. And so that was a pear variety that he bred. Uh, I first tasted it at the Fruit Growers F Festival, uh, which was at the uh, U of A Botanic Garden. Thought, this is amazing. I need one of these trees. Was able to track one down. And uh, later learned about uh, the history of Robert Simonette through Catherine Chase Merritt's book, Why Grow Here. Phenomenal book for anybody who's interested in gardening in Edmonton. Uh, but rumor has it he was also playing around with apricot breeding. And in the 60s, he moved from this neighborhood to, um, I think, just in uh, Strathcona County. So he moved a little bit further east, I, probably because the city was encroaching on his uh, plant experiments. But you have an internationally famous plant breeder, someone who around the time of, you know, these trees were planted, was playing around with fruit trees. And my imagination 
can't help but draw a line directly from Robert Simonette to the Capilano apricot trees, even though I have really very little evidence to back it up. It's just a hunch. <laughs> so, and there are no other likely candidates so, at this point. Go. <laughs> In a minute, we go down the rabbit hole to follow up on that hunch. Let's Find Out is also brought to you by the Edmonton Community Foundation, who make the Well Endowed podcast, which is hosted by Elizabeth Bonkink and Andrew Paul. It's produced by Lisa Pruden, and it's full of stories that tie back to the impact of the endowment funds that the Edmonton Community Foundation gives out, and stories that talk about big picture things affecting our city, like reconciliation and arts funding and history. I've been making history stories for them this year. The latest one is about a building that lots of us are familiar with downtown, the Mercer Warehouse. I found a lot of weird trivia about the old warehouse, I think you'll take a look at the building differently next time you walk by. It'll especially make you think twice about how tall the building is. That's on the Well Endowed podcast. Download it on your app of choice and check out the show notes and subscribe at thewellendowedpodcast.com. Let's Find Out is also brought to you by another podcast exploring big ideas about nature, the Your Forest podcast. Hey guys, my name is Matthew Kristoff and I'm an advocate for sustainability and environmental sciences. If you've ever wanted to know how our natural world is being managed, check out my podcast, Your Forest, where I talk with researchers and professionals in the field of environmental sciences about the work they do and the things they love. It's all about our natural world and how we manage it. Climate change to conservation, wilderness survival, wildfire, all kinds of stuff. If we're going to give up on something like trumpeter swans, then functionally we would give up on the value of wetlands coined the term sustainability. You know, forests to me are my spiritual place. It's, it's where I go to relax, to reset myself, to reconnect. This bird had flown um, over 100,000 kilometers in its life. Climate change doesn't mean that we're going to lose all of our forests. Again, it just might mean that there's a different forest. And uh, how we got here is we approached the peak by helicopter. <laughs> Um, the importance of fire in, in a wilderness situation just can't be understated. It's all about sustainability. Check out your forest on Apple, Google, Spotify, and Stitcher. Thanks a lot, guys. See you out there. All right, we're back. So off I went to try following up on Dustin's tip. And a couple weeks later, I asked Brooklyn to meet me on the north side of town in the Dickensfield neighborhood. We sat down in the grass in a park. Okay, so I'm going to tell you what what I've done since since we saw each other last. Okay, <laughs> lay it on me. I'm curious. So it's been like two weeks since we last met up. Um, and uh, there were like a couple different routes that I wanted to take. Um, Dustin had recommended maybe talking to Dr. Evans. That'd be Ian Evans, a plant scientist and horticulturalist in Edmonton who has a cherry variety named after him, the Evans cherry. We'd thought of talking to Catherine Chase Merritt, um, who wrote some books on gardening history in Edmonton. And also, um, I knew, you know, there might be something in archival research that would tell us something about Robert Simonet or Simone. I still don't know how to say his name. I don't know. <laughs> Simonek? Simonek? Simonet. Simonet. Yeah. Simonet. His name makes more sense to me now because I went to the city archives and um, was able to find out where he came from um, and some really cool stuff about him. So. Okay. Okay, I'm going to tell you some stuff. Okay, I'm excited. Um, so he had a fascinating life story. It, it turns out that uh, he actually came to Canada from France um, right after World War I in 1919. Okay. He was 16 years old. Wow. Yeah. Um, 
so the reason he came that young um, is because his sister married a Canadian soldier and she was uh, too scared to move here alone. Um, so yeah, he said, okay. uh, sure, yeah, I'll go along with you. Like as her chaperone? I think he was younger than her. Um, maybe just like a, a companion. That makes sense. Yeah. Okay. But because he'd come here so young, he didn't really have a lot of formal schooling. Um, so uh, he found one job as a, a, a boiler operator at the Misericordia Hospital. Wow. He was like shoveling coal into the <laughs> boiler there. I like how they call it an operator and they make it sound way more technical than it actually is. There was one reference I found that called him like a type of engineer doing that work. But my understanding is like the function was he was keeping the boiler running at the hospital. Yeah. Shoveling coal. Yeah. And then um, his day job was working at Market Gardens for somebody else. Uh, until he saved up enough in like 1930 to buy his own market garden property near Bonnie Dune. Right, okay. Um, not exactly in the neighborhood, but I was able to find out where it was. And it was really close. Um, are you familiar with King Edward Park neighborhood? Yeah, absolutely. That is close. Yeah. Um, I have a, a map I can show you um, how close it was. Uh, so when he saved up, um, he and his wife, Lillian, they bought uh, five acres um, in... King Edward Park. Um, so that's the neighborhood just south of Bonnie Dune. It's, it's, it's quite close. Um, dun, dun, dun. Sidebar, I'll post this picture on the website. So I was able to see it in a map of the city in 1949, just an indication of how big their property was. So um, you see that uh, kind of L shape there? Wow. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, just off 76 off. Yeah. Yeah, that's so close. Um... Uh, and then in 1958, they moved away. Yeah, I was able to put Robert Simonet or Simonet in the area until 1958. Um, I also found out some cool stuff about why he was so famous. Dustin mentioned a bit of this, um, but uh, the double petunias thing was really a big deal. Um, and it has. <laughs> it's still a big deal. He had heard and seen the, the varieties coming from Japan. Um, and uh, he taught himself plant genetics at the Edmonton Public Library and the U of A libraries at night. He would just like bring books and and teach himself like how to do crossbreeding and um, wow. yeah. I love how nerdy that is <laughs> and committed. Yeah. Yeah. So he figured out how to breed the varieties he could get access to to make a 100% double flowering petunia plant. And so he was at first just you know, in a, like a local competitor for these Japanese plants until 1941, the Japanese attacked Pearl Harbor. And then suddenly that whole double petunia market um, is cut off. So he became like, he, he had basically a monopoly on it after 1941. That's pretty crazy. Um, like he has the North American monopoly on double flowering petunias. <laughs> like a previously a commodity that really wasn't something that people thought about right and all of a sudden it's like whoa hot commodity super rare can only got be gotten from one guy yeah that's that's quite the windfall yeah he could experience then from petunias um so major props to robert or robert or bob or <laughs> <laughs> let's just call it bob let's go for bob sure <laughs> um so again what i was able to find out he lived there till 1958 um 
he was experimenting with fruit trees, but the articles that I found that mention apricots, all they said was that he hadn't had much success and that other people in the area were experimenting with apricots and stuff too. I emailed Dr. Evans. Yeah. Um, and he actually emailed back, which is pretty cool. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> also not surprised, right? <laughs> like gardening enthusiasts and academics love to talk about this stuff, right? So they're, I'm sure they're all over it. Um, but he, his answer was, I didn't find it very satisfying. He said, <laughs> he said it could have been anyone. Um, uh, he said they, they were likely from the coldest areas of Europe or Manchuria. I tried door knocking. I knocked on the houses of the doors of all the neighbors immediately adjacent there. Um, most of them said they had no idea about anything relating to it. Some of them had tried the fruit and said it was good. Um, uh, there was one neighbor who, um, she actually took me into her backyard because she had an apricot tree. She, she currently has an apricot tree in the alley that's like within sight of apricot tree one. Gotcha. Um, they've only lived there for three years though. The previous owner, she passed away. Um, so she doesn't know anything more about it, except that it has fruited since they've been there. The fruit was pretty good, although one year was really full of grubs. Um, so that was too bad. Okay, yeah. Okay. Okay, so now it gets really interesting. Because this is when I emailed Catherine Chase Merritt. Ooh, okay. She's the one who wrote these gardening histories of Edmonton. This is how I, th- I think I cracked the case. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Let's hear it. She put me in touch with Ken Risky at Mill Creek Nursery, which is here in town. Um, and he said he's almost certain he knows which tree nursery they came from. And he gave me the name of someone who was connected to that tree nursery. And he, so that guy, Brendan, Brendan Casement, thinks he knows the exact guy that planted those trees. And so Brendan Casement lives like three blocks away. So we're going to go visit him. Wow. We rang the doorbell at a house just a couple blocks away on another quiet residential street with a yard full of very well-tended junipers and cherry trees. Hi, Brandon. Hi, it's Chris. Hi. And this is Brooklyn. Hi, Brandon. Out of the Dodgers. Pretty much, yeah. Hi. <laughs> is my wife Hello. out here? Uh, Brendan Casement's business card describes him as a semi-retired horticulturalist, but he has a master's in agriculture, and he used to work with the Alberta government's horticultural station down in Brooks, down in the southeast corner of the province. What, were, what was your title there? Uh, ornamental specialist. Uh, we tried to upgrade uh, to a research scientist, but the federal government didn't like it. Were they in ch- Why did the federal government get a say? Their title for their scientists. <laughs> okay, you have an itemized history of the, the provenance of these trees. <laughs> I think I have. From what I've been able to determine from records and talking to people, and my own knowledge, I, I think I've found the history of them. I believe it was Augustus Griffin, who was an engineer who designed the Eastern Irrigation District in the Brooks area, who corresponded, like a lot of people in his time, with people all over the world. And he happened to correspond with a Mr. or Dr. Titson, who was a horticulturalist at Harbin Research Station in China in Manchuria, China. And so he, cl- he got a lot of seeds from Mr. Pitson, including apricots. Now, Mr. Augustus Griffin 
uh, moved from Brooks about 1940-41 to Strathmore. And he planted these in Strathmore. And the people in Strathmore appreciated them because they would come and take the apricots. However, Mr. Dr. Duncan Hargrave managed to collect some fruit later, brought them to Brooks, grew them on, and uh, then through the programs the Provincial Horticulture Station had at the time, distributed it to different cities and horticultural clubs in the province. The province of Alberta was running a horticultural station to like experiment with new crops and try to distribute yes, them. That was the, the main object, including uh, growing trees for shelter bolts, which I was later involved with. Uh, these seedlings were distributed, and I guess uh, uh, Brian Andrews, director of parks here in the city uh, at the time, then planted some out as I said, just north of White Avenue and on 75th Street, and they're still there. <laughs> uh, I know somewhere in Calgary, and I've talked to people in Calgary who've actually had them and grown them and still growing them. This is unbelievable that you know with this granularity where they came from, from Harbin too, which is our sister city in China. Yeah, yeah and in those days, you know, the Gustav Griffin, um, George Bunet from local, Frank Skinner from Dropmore, Manitoba, and others corresponded with people all over the world to get new seed to improve the plant material in Alberta. And why? Because they thought the native material wasn't good enough. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if that's the right thing to say, but yes, to improve the range of plant material we could grow. And you know, and I look at my backyard there, and there's a, a tree in the back there is a horse chestnut. Well, that had to come from Europe. Mm. Nurserymen, homeowners, and these people were really important in bringing new trees and shrubs into the province. Many of them didn't survive, mm. but so what? That was, the, that was the attitude. Let's try and grow them if they grow, great. Were you also in this kind of experimental role of, of seeing what could grow here? Yes, I was appointed as uh, ornamental specialist at the, what became the Alberta Horticulture Research Center in Brooks in 1971. And I kind of like to know the history of these things, so I read a lot of the material that was available. And this did show you know, these things. Uh, to find the records now would be difficult, but it should be in the provincial archives. And Alberta Agriculture annual reports from, I'd say, probably around you know, 65 to 68 would have the distribution of these plants from the annual report of the Hot Center in Brooks. So I went to the provincial archives yesterday to try to look for some supporting material for some of this because we had chatted on the phone and you had told me about some of this. So um, I wasn't able to find archival files in um, the horticultural station or the crop diversification center's own files, but I was able to find a newspaper article or two that that shows almost exactly what you're saying. Um, can I show you? Sure. Okay, so I, I had help from one of the archivists there, um, Angie, and I'll make sure to thank her at the end of the episode. This Edmonton Journal article from 1958, uh, the title is South Orchard Yields Apricots. So this talks about the first 
crop from those apricots down near Brooks. Five tons of apricots have been grown on one acre of trees in Strathmore near Calgary. That's right. (laughs) It was the first time the trees, imported from Manchuria 20 years ago, produced fruit. The orchard is managed by the Brooks Horticultural Station. P.D. McCalla, who I guess went by Pete? Pete McCalla, yes. Provincial Supervisor of Horticulture, says experiments will continue toward producing more winter-hardy and satisfactory fruit-bearing trees for Alberta. The fruit was distributed to Strathmore District residents who are returning the pits so more seedlings may be started. Specialists from the University of Alberta and the Alberta Department of Agriculture selected fruit from the 13 best trees to continue the development. So that puts it in the time range of um, uh, fruit trees coming out in 1958 and being brought to Canada first in um, about 20 years before then. So I have an even more precise date for when those trees came over. Okay. May I show you this article? Okay. Um, I was so excited, and this is all this is all because you were able to give me this information. So this is just like color for what what you told me. <laughs> um, so this is an Edmonton Journal article from 1963. Um, City Fruit Station plants apricot plot. Mm-hmm. I would love for this. I would love to say that this was the Capilano apricots. It's not quite, but but still from the same crop. Um, secluded by a grove of trees alongside the North Saskatchewan River, northeast of Edmonton are the beginnings of what may become an Alberta fruit industry. So this article mentions 800 apricot trees planted at the Visser Farm in Northeast Edmonton, which is still there. Um, And it actually quotes um, Dunk Hargrave, the superintendent at the horticultural station who you'd mentioned, um, with some like beautiful color on the history of these trees. I visited the Visser Farm a short time ago, he said in a telephone interview. The trees look like they are very well established. Only about 10% didn't survive the transplanting. The original stock of seed came from north of Harbin in Manchuria. It was collected and brought here by a white Russian named Petitsin in 1939. I, I, I don't know what that refers to. I'd never heard that word before. Uh, my impression of a white Russian was the aristocracy. Oh. Aristocracy. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. So, like, almost exactly what you, what you said. There's, there's text evidence for it here. Brooklyn, thoughts? I'm blown away. <laughs> like, I never expected that we would get this level of precision, right? When I said to you, I wonder what's up with those apricots. And that, right? It's just wild how this journey has unfolded. But what about our guy? What about Robert? So our other theory was Robert Simonet or Simonet, who... Simonet, yeah. is that how you say his name? Yeah. He wasn't the source of these particular apricots. No. No, it was the Griffin through the... Uh Hot Center, Brooks, and uh, Strathmore, and Duncan Hargrave. It remind me again what year they would have been planted here in Edmonton? I would have th- thought about 1967. Why Harbin? Why, why, were, why would people in Alberta have been communicating with folks there to get um, seeds and, and stock? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, I see these listening and... Here, these guys, they were terrific correspondents in those days. And they would get a lead and they would write and they would swap things. And uh, yes, uh, as I say, Augustus Griffin got hold of this Dr. Pitson in Harbin. Uh, uh, George Bunet got hold of somebody in Finland and Russia. Uh, they wrote, wrote all over the world to get new seedlings for this area and the similar climates. Mm. Yeah. That's, um, 
it's just wild to think that we have that link to this place, Harbin. And also, when I think about what Harbin would have been like in 1939, I, I, correct me if I'm wrong, but wasn't that one of the parts of China that was occupied by Japan at the time? The layers of like, like okay, so you're, you're thinking of writing letters to people around the world to collect some seed. You think there might be some seed in China. It's currently occupied by a foreign country. <laughs> they decide yeah. to send you some apricot seeds anyway. Like. Uh, the, the interesting thing about 20 years ago, a group of people from Alberta, from nurserymen, went to Harbin and had a look at the old plantings. Mm. What? Yes. Really? Yes. And that was led by Wade Hartwell, who had Golden Acre Garden Centers in Calgary at the time, and Dave Herbert, who was <coughs> a lecturer at, Cal- at Olds College, went with them. And they toured that site, and it, I figured they identified some of the trees from which we got the seed. Wow. I was honored to meet a lot of these people. Uh, I didn't meet Gus Griffin, but certainly Hargrave was a tremendous person. Uh, Bob Harris at Beaver Lodge, uh, Gavin Kemp at Lethbridge. They were all great plants people, trying to extend the planting, the amount of plants we can grow. Make Alberta beautiful. That was really cool. <laughs> it was so cool. And I have to say, like either I had just unrealistically low expectations, but I didn't expect you to, to find this. Like I really half expect you to come back and say, yeah, sorry, Brooklyn, we kind of, like we went as far as we could and like our best guess is our guy Robert, but I had no idea that we could pursue this this far to this level of detail and precision. And then that it would kind of all wrap up, right? And all be part of like a bigger story, right? So there's these apricots, there's these cherries, there's all this stuff from China. There's like, there's sort of the provincial history all wrapped up in these lowly little apricots that I, I have literally driven by probably every day for years. Didn't even think about it. So just imagine how many more stories are in the trees everywhere you go. If you stopped and tried to learn the story of each one, wow, it's a life's work. It would be more than a life's work, but it would be a rich undertaking, right? So thanks for at least helping me track down the history of these three to start. Thanks for listening. Let's Find Out is produced by Trevor Chow Fraser and me, Chris Chang and Phillips. Let us know what you think. Drop us a line at chris at letsfindoutpodcast.com. You can download all of our episodes on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, or your favorite podcatcher. You can also find them on letsfindoutpodcast.com. We have tons of supplementary information for every episode there too, and pictures. Also, that's where you can sign up for our newsletter. I try to drop in news about new episodes, live events, cool apps, and updates about the book club this season. We are reading books every month that tie into some of these big ideas about humans and nature. On Thursday, August 29th, we're meeting up to talk about The Culture of Nature by Alexander Wilson. Meetup details on our website. And on September 18th, we'll be reading a green design book called Cradle to Cradle. Thank you to Brooklyn Schneider, Dustin Bajer, and Brandon Caseman. 
Thanks for the research help from Catherine Chase Merritt, Kem Risky, Ian Evans, Dylan Bremner, Angie Friesen, Sherry Watson, Glynis Homan, Catherine Ivany, Karen Wall, Brian Gibbon, Rebecca Lippiat, Ariane Lowry, and the rest of the neighbors who live next to the Capilano Apricots. And to Tapper Edmondson and Edmonton Historical Board. Thanks to everyone who's been supporting this podcast, especially Finn. Original music for this podcast is by the perpetually lovely human being, Doug Hoyer. Until next time, keep your questions coming.